Hey, cool cats all across London. Welcome to the Mystic Bookshop, and you're now listening to Through the Mystic Window. That's hashtag Through the Mystic Window. It's good to see you today. We're hoping to get uh, a lot of customers in here, hoping to uh, do some business and help you with your spiritual needs, because these days in London, there's a lot of spiritual needs to be met. So let's uh, start with some music. And... Uh can't play that one. That was a bit of a dirty song. <laughs> this is uh, Dry the Rain from the Beta Band. Enjoy. How would you like to be remembered? Hmm. Well, I think uh, I would like to be remembered as a man who brought a, um, an innovation to popular singing. A peculiar, unique fashion that I wish one of these days somebody would learn to do so it doesn't die where it is. Uh, I would like to be remembered as a man who had uh, a wonderful time living his life and who had uh, um, good friends fine family and I don't I don't think I could ask for anything more than that actually all right that was live forever by Oasis uh, don't forget that we uh, we're here at 612 Dundas Street our phone number is 519-661-0666 and uh, if you have any questions give us a call here's the Smiths with how soon is now the fact that the Smiths have sustained a cult following 15 years after their demise is understandable. They were a band for the darkly obsessive. In a decade categorized by excess, the Smiths, and especially their sexually baffling frontman Morrissey, were introspective, iconoclastic, and alienated. There weren't casual Smiths fans in the America of 1986. It was an all-or-nothing equation. Though superstars in the UK, the Smiths were fringe interlopers. The well-read pop rock gods for the Fey underground. That being the case, it isn't surprising to discover that there's been a Smith's Moz convention in Los Angeles every year since 1987. It's easy to imagine 36-year-old wallflowers digging out their black turtlenecks and reminiscing about how the queen is dead, convinced them not to hang themselves while everyone else was at the prom. Generally, that's who rock conventions appeal to. Aging superfans embracing nostalgia. And I can say that because I go to sci-fi and movie conventions. But that was from Chuck Klosterman and his collection of stories four. And now we're going to move on to uh, maybe a song that describes people's love of Morrissey. This is Fizzy Love by Catherine Wheel. And that was Run by Snow Patrol. Remember that song from back in the 80s? Um, that was, uh, that was a good one. Um, just as a reminder, go to www.themysticbookshop.ca for all your spiritual online shopping or come down to the store at, uh, 612 Dundas Street in London and you can call us at 519-661-0666 and ask any questions. I know lately some people have been wondering and asking, we just got a delivery of a whole bunch of herbs in. Um, so if you're looking for sage or mugwort or sweetgrass or anything like that, 
we just got a huge uh, new delivery of it. So uh, stock is here if you want it and uh, it'll go fast. Here's uh, the next song is a favorite of mine. I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash. And uh, my favorite song by him is a rendition of the old folk song called, uh, it goes by various names. Usually it goes by God's Gonna Cut You Down, but it can also be called Run On. Um, And as a little London fact, did you know that Johnny Cash proposed to his wife, June Carter Cash, at a concert in London at the London Gardens? Way back before it was called Budweiser Gardens, or I don't even know what it's called now, but that's right. Johnny Cash proposed to June Carter Cash in London, Ontario. Here's Johnny Cash with God's Gonna Cut You Down. Sinead O'Connor with Fire on Babylon, uh, an older classic. Not older by my standards, but possibly older by the standards of people who are listening. Um, And the next song is a cover of another song from roughly around the same era. Uh, The song is Mad World, originally recorded by Tears for Fears, but this is Gary Jewels. How far away is the sun? Uh, 93 million miles. <laughs> is it? Yeah. And the diameter of the sun is 870,000 miles, which makes it 109 times wider than the Earth, and 333,000 times heavier than the Earth. Shut yeah. up about the sun! Shut up about the sun! You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, there's a little song about Boba Fett talking about how he wears a mask over his face. And uh, that's something we should all be doing. If you want to come into the store, you're going to have to wear a mask. And looking at the outbreak in London, Ontario, I'm thinking maybe more students at Western should be wearing a mask over their face. Uh, at school and when you're out at the bars and maybe not conglomerating so close together. I don't know. That's just my thought. What do you think about the whole thing in London, the COVID outbreak and the way some of the students are behaving on uh, on Richmond Row on the weekends? Um, and I'm not blaming all students, but uh, there's video evidence of some problematic behavior. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, go to www.twitch.com dot tv backslash mystic window media and uh get in a chat with us and uh let's talk about what the um possible solutions are for some of these problems the next song is a song from someone that i've always really liked when she was popular it uh, was considered embarrassing to like her i don't know why i think she's got a hell of a voice and uh it might be too late now but i thought if they ever make a janice joplin movie sass jordan should play Janis Joplin. Here's a song called Ugly, which she recorded with George Clinton from uh, Parliament and P-Funkadelic and you know George Clinton. Who doesn't know George Clinton? If you don't know George Clinton, look him up. Unrelated to Bill Clinton. Here's Ugly by Sass Jordan. She is ugly, sucker. Ugly by Sass Jordan with George Clinton. Just want to remind you, you see there in the uh, bottom corner of your screen, it says www.mysticbookshop.ca. You can go to our website and uh, order anything you want, and uh, you can schedule a pickup 
We'll send you an email, let you know when your order is ready, and you can come by anytime during business hours to pick it up. We don't have our entire stock on the website, but we're every day working diligently to get more there. And uh, you can always call 519-661-0666 to see if we have something you need. Uh, or you can come by the store at 612 Dundas Street. Uh, we have uh, everything you need. And if we don't have it, we'll do our best to get it. Uh, this next song is uh, an old one from Pink Floyd, a really, really, really early one. And if you listen closely, you'll hear some music in here that I've always thought possibly Harry Manfredini. No, wait, I got that name wrong. Harry Mancini ripped off for the Friday the 13th soundtrack. You know, that whole sort of theme for Jason or whatever. You'll hear that in this song, which was recorded 30 years before Friday 13th ever came out. So take a listen to this and let me know what you think. Do you hear the Friday the 13th theme? This is One of These Days by Pink Floyd. And just so you know, if you're unfamiliar with the song, it starts out very quiet and slowly builds. So give it a chance. It's worth it. All right, One of These Days by Pink Floyd. Uh, coming up next is a song by Catherine Wheel with, uh, considering recent events around here, this may be a song that uh, could be addressed to me right now. Um, this is Eat My Dust, You Insensitive Fuck by Catherine Wheel. Hard language, so be aware. All right, how's it going? we got a little bit of a surprise for you at the moment. One of our customers, John, has come in, and uh, he's a musician, and uh, he likes the store, and he wants to talk about music and magic, which are two things that uh, have always gone together quite well. For thousands of years. For thousands, thousands of years. The beginning of uh, civilization. Yeah. People have been beating drums, dancing, yep. trying to make it rain, trying to... Find uh, find a way through life, and, yep. uh, and uh, music is integral to that. It sure and, is. And dancing is integral to that too. I think you know, uh, uh, part of the human tradition is is, is dancing. Yeah. And, uh, and in the shamanistic tradition, of course, there's a uh, dance is a vital component of that. Yeah. Yeah. You tying tying everything together from thousands of years to to the present time, music is really. The, the bridge, you know, that, that connects us to to the distant past. Yeah, absolutely. Is, uh, more more so than the literary traditions that, that have survived, mm -hmm. or uh, epic epic poems and things like that. There used to be uh, a, a way to transmit the past to the present. Right. Yeah. Have you always been into music and magic? Is magic yeah, something absolutely. that that you've you've come into later in life? Or well, I think from the time I was a young child, I yeah. was aware of. Uh, magic and, and uh, people who did magic and you know, uh, things, things that are very much related to this store yeah. uh, in terms of uh, uh, educating people through literature and, and certainly uh, supplies of, of uh, tarot cards, yeah. rune stones, yeah. things, that, uh, things that are very meaningful to a lot of people you know, and, and uh, again that go back into the distant mists of time. Yeah. When it comes down to it, uh, it's, it, again, I, I think magic and music 
are, are both ways to connect us to the past. Yeah, absolutely. And did you, right away, did you realize the connection between the two? Or was that was that a growth you went through? I, I, I think it was more of a realization from yeah. uh, just watching live performances of music that were very transformative and, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, deeply impacted my, my, my personality, the way I approach life, other yeah. people. Uh, a mindfulness. Yeah. You know, I think that comes from being a musician. You're you're very, very much in the moment. Yeah. And uh, and particularly in an ensemble, mm -hmm. uh, when you're when you're connecting with other musicians. Yeah. Um, pardon, pardon me. Uh, oh, that's I'm a. Hoping I'm well, we've all we. <laughs> we are certainly not socially distanced here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, reach out and touch them. Yeah. But um, uh, to get back to it. Uh, uh, you know, when you see uh, even a solo performance of a, of a great musician, virtuoso, yeah, and it, it can really transport, if you're, if you're into it, it can really transport you and, and yeah. you're, you're going to take something away from that, something that will be meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved like the, the concert experience. It's like, you know, whether it's a small club or whether it's a stadium, it's like it's hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people all communing together and experiencing this amazing thing. And uh, there's there's nothing quite like being in a stadium with 40,000 people singing the same song. Yeah, or, or 40,000 people and, and uh, a standing Neil Young concert I went to once and it was just Neil Young on a stage uh, at Exhibition Stadium, so say 20,000 people. Was this, I don't suppose Pearl Jam opened for him. No, no, no. Oh, okay, I was going to say, I've been to that, con I was at that concert, but. But it was, uh, it, was just a, it was just Neil and a guitar and a harmonica on stage. Oh, amazing. And at a certain yeah. point, I, you know, I looked around. Yeah. And everybody was absolutely transfixed yeah. by one person with a guitar and a harmonica in his voice. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, that was a, wow, a very electrical moment. You yeah. Know, you know, I took that moment to look around at the crowd and, and to see the see that sea of faces just, yeah. just, just absolutely transformed. Yeah. It's amazing. Right? And it's it's spiritual and it's magical and you know, oh, it it like I've had concert experiences that have pretty much changed my life, you know, in, yeah. in terms of in terms of that feeling of, of being moved. Certainly. That um, you know, uh, I don't want to say only music can do that, but music does that in a very specific um, well, way. to get back to magic and music, yeah. I have heard it said, and I wish I could remember who made the quote, but that magic can only be cast from a stage. Right. And uh, I don't know how true that is, mm -hmm. and in what context. But they were they were speaking about about that about that transformative experience for for a crowd. That, yeah. That kind of magic can be cast from a stage. Yeah. You know, whatever you, you call it, charisma or or sheer talent. Yeah. Uh, but somebody like Neil Young can do that. Yeah. Alone, singularly, yeah. on stage or with other people. But you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Not just to name one example, of course, right? But yeah. Through, through a history. Yeah. You know, and even in uh, even in recent recorded history, when you go back to some of the, some of the classical musicians, 
Most are the Yeah. Yeah, uh, they do your house yeah. and it gets there were virtuoso like musicians that could, that could absolutely captivate an audience. And, and, and like then that their music has lived on for more than 200 years. Yeah. And is as meaningful to some people as modern popular music. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm not a musician. So as a musician, working with like in a studio, like you're not in front of a crowd, you're just creating something together with other people. Um, what's that like spiritually? Like how does like like I imagine those moments are magic. Some of the absolutely yeah. very finest moments are when you're not really under the pressure of performing in front of an audience and right. you can really be expressive and free without you know you're taking some chances in that case. Right? Yeah. That you, uh, as, in my own experience as a musician, I like to. Uh, it's amazing. It's it. Extemporize. Yeah. To improvise music. Yeah. Not necessarily live set in front of an audience, but certainly with other musicians. Yeah. And to feel that connection and the instantaneous response of other musicians to your to what you're getting, what you're getting, what I'm taking from them. Yeah. You know, it certainly is a kind of. That's very exciting. Yeah. It's the peak. For me, the yeah, experience, you know? yeah. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, and um, I, you know, you, you go from writing something by yourself, but the, the real magic comes when you're when you're on a set and there's actors in front of a camera, and they start ad-libbing or they start riffing or they start trying something new, and there's an energy when you know it's like outside of rehearsals, outside of talking about it. There's an energy when you know the camera's rolling, and this might be the movie, and actors find a moment to of, of inspiration and they can completely change a scene or change the performance and and you know i have sat behind a camera and been like wow this moment is you know we're capturing gold that's, here that's what it really is for yeah film. you know for for uh, for me watching cinema is certainly watching the watching the interaction and and uh the non-acting yeah you know uh i was just speaking to a friend of mine just last night actually about uh, an invisible, an invisible style of acting that, that, that you know you, you feel what's happening on the screen. You know, you, you it's an emotional experience. Yeah. Uh, but you don't sense that it's it's being acted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the peak. Yeah, it's when all, when everything just kind of comes together, which I'm sure it's the same way when you're With recording, the and it's yeah. like you know, it's, like it's not only the musicians, it's the engineer, it's like everybody, and like the the producer, and you know, everyone's coming together and creating these and beautiful. As far moments. as you know, as far as uh, what I know about filmmaking or mm -hmm. what I've heard about the process, and that certain directors will want a very tightly controlled uh, scene. They they, yeah. they have a vision of what they want to see. And they don't want any diversion from it. And yeah. And there's other uh, directors who will just let the let the scene play out. Yeah. You know they can always do another take if it doesn't work. They know. Yep. There's no pressure. Just, just let, let it happen. Yeah. Exactly. Especially in the digital age, when you're not like rolling expensive film, you're just putting it on a hard drive, and you know you can roll all day, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. So sorry, go ahead. I was going to say I think the thing with musical improvisation is in in a live context where you're playing in front of an audience, as it were, whatever kind of audience. You know, a lot of times, particularly recently years, I've played more kind of like galleries, right? And, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, special festivals that were constructed around. Know, free music, as it were. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's judging the audience too, and how how much they actually. <laughs> one of the things yeah. is though, uh, you know, and I very much like would like to explore taking that to the very limit. Yeah. And uh, you know, just 
hammering away and hammering away uh, until the, the audience has a there's a there's a there's a moment where there's a shift somewhere. Right. You, know, you feel you know, but just to take it basically too far. Yeah. And so go over go over it and over yeah. the line and, 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 and push that boundary. Yeah. Can you can you feel an audience turn both on you and turn for you? Like, have you yeah, been there? Right. Yeah, have you uh, been there where you're like, oh, this is not going well, and then you do the something that brings them to your for me, side? It's the <laughs> indifferent audience that, right. that drives me crazy. Yeah, it's the audience that just doesn't even acknowledge that you're there or yeah. that anything is happening other than uh, ordering drinks. And yeah. And, uh, talking and yeah, that, right? I've always said I would rather hate something than be indifferent to it. I, yeah. I would rather hear something and, and like as long as it create like if it creates a vis and I'm like oh this is awful and like you know you think about why it's awful or whatever but but it makes you feel something instead of just yeah I've, I've tried I've, I've tried very hard over the years to yeah. make music that provokes uh, an emotional response. Yeah, right? yeah. it's not always good. No. Yeah. And happy and peaceful sure. vibe. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, the opposite of that. Yeah. And uh, that's an externalization of, of, of something that's in me, and yeah. I, can, I can express it musically. Yeah. But that's that's also transformative in a way because mm -hmm. it, it's uh, cathartic, and you can you can shed a lot of anger, yeah, grief, guilt, regret, yeah, whatever emotions are are the opposite of peacefulness and placid joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you when you have those moments and you have a completely indifferent audience, uh, ha have you had a moment where suddenly everyone stopped and turned and been like, "Oh, mm -hmm. what's he doing now?" Th like that yeah. must that must be magic. Oh, that well, must be those. Well, if you're if you're talking about playing in a band in front of an indifferent audience that yeah. is you know just not with it, uh, you look at you look at your fellow bandmates and you just go. You shrug. Yeah. You say, uh, "This isn't happening." And you try to, I don't know. In my experience, more or less, try to beat a hasty retreat. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, you're an opening act in a in a bar where people have never heard you. Yeah. And uh, uh, they don't. They don't. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. Long and short of it. Yeah. Yeah. And in many cases, and I played in a lot of you know undergroundish punk bands. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, well, in the distant past. Yeah. You know, in the 80s when it was still a thing that, to do. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's, well, let's, well, that, that, <laughs> well, let's be asked like modern music and what's going on right now. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> so I'll just say it's derivative of a lot of stuff that happened before. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, playing in those kind of punk bands in, in tiny bars. A lot of times you're on a bill with a band, a local band, say from that area, that have a lot of their friends that are there. Right. And uh, so they're there to see their friends play. Yep. They're there to see their friends band player, the band that they know, the headliner. And as I say, when it comes to a tiny opening band, it's like, you know, a lot of times there's just no interest. Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, some, uh, I've had nights where the crowd was with him. Yeah. You know, and they didn't know us, and we went in and played our little punk rock songs, and everybody pulled around and slam danced. And yeah. And you know, that's a great reaction. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you're young and, uh, and playing energetic music like that, that's basically the, the goal. Right. Yeah. yeah. And bar owners love that too when they see people dancing around and yeah. moving their bodies. That means you're going to get thirsty. Again. <laughs> exactly. You might get invited back to play. Again, yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So have you have you spent your entire life in the OEV or in the, in London at yeah, least? Yeah, uh, pretty much so. 
yeah, yeah. yeah and actually uh, uh, in this particular uh, small area of it, yeah. uh, I, I lived a few doors down from the Mystic Bookstore now for close to 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the little uh, factory conversion over, so oh, okay. they're going to have to pry me out of there. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. But uh, when my mother moved, I'm from Woodstock, so not okay. too far away. Not too far. And my mother uh, moved here in 75. Okay. And I think by 76 she had bought a house over in this neighborhood. Right. And uh, remarried a fellow who had a business right on Dundas Street down here, just a, actually just a block out. Right. Uh, we had a used car a lot and auto body repair. Oh. So we were I come from a family of auto people as well. Yeah, really? How yeah. About? Uh, well, my dad owned a uh, an auto parts store. Um, he owned a... I mean, now it's a car quest, but you know, it, it's Excellent. gone through various companies over the year. Like he's always, he's always been, uh, what do you call it, like a franchisee or so. So it was Atlas Auto Parts okay. years ago, if you remember them. And then he was McCurley Millen and it, it's I car quest now. I remember McCurley. Yeah. yeah. Okay, actually, that was in the late 70s. Kind of yeah. That was, that was happening. So we, as a body shop, would purchase from McCurley Millen and other auto bodies. Yeah. And auto supply places around it. Yeah. But of course, all as you say, all of that stuff's changed now and they've all been bought up by, yeah. all the franchises have been bought up by a giant corporation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I know what it's like to be to be an artist growing up in an automotive family and yeah, <laughs> things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, it worked out well for me. I always had a nice car on the go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so exactly. That was, that was a bonus. Cheap but, fixes and, you know, you, you can find people deals. offering you yeah. good deals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you've uh, so you've probably have you been coming into the Mystic then since since way back when? Well, or? I guess this store would be been well over 30 years now yeah. that yeah. we're here, right? Yeah. Uh, something like 35 years. It's 35 years or so, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, the one thing about the Mystic is uh, it's, a, it's a destination shop, not yeah. just for you know, the neighborhood, but one yeah. in general. And if you're into mineralogy, crystals, yeah. Uh, yeah. just just high quality incense and yeah. uh, things like that for, to make a overy. Yeah. You know, be yeah. beyond any occult aspects of the store. Yeah. But it's the place yeah. for that. Yeah. You know, if you want you know, occult knowledge, I, it's hard to put, you know, I hate to say occult because it puts a, a dark It does. Yeah. Things, yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of presumptions with that, but most uh, people that come in actually aren't necessarily, you know, occultists or books about herbology. Yeah, uh, yeah. Books about mycology, which are yeah. I, you know, I, I purchased a book about mushrooms. Yeah. Here. Mycology is a study of mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's it's natural sciences. Yeah. Not just uh, uh, magic. Yeah. Know, exactly. But, but the study of magic is, has to be very much closely tied to the study of natural science. Agreed. Again, going Absolutely. Back the past, it was all about establishing a connection with nature. Yeah. And the power that is is out in nature that you know, potentially could be harnessed. Yeah. You know, I felt it. Other people have felt it. There's a fine tradition of it going back thousands of years. You can't discount it. Yeah. Out of hand. Absolutely. It, mm -hmm. Or, or you know, it's like discounting any any religion or any belief out of hand. Yeah. Uh, you're familiar with Soren Kierkegaard? Yep. Yeah. The philosopher. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, if you want to boil Kierkegaard's philosophy down into a simple phrase, it would be. To believe in any system of religion or mysticism, yeah. you have to suspend reason. 
Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. You know, so there has to be some kind of suspension of, uh, of the tangible, frangible, uh, palpable existence that you know is right in front of our eyes. Yeah. So there's other. There's things behind that. There's energy in the universe. Yeah. Uh, there's energy in things. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, some people, I think, are intuitive and can really feel those things. Yeah. You know, and, and this is a story that caters to that. Absolutely. You know, yeah. We yeah. definitely, we definitely try. Whether really, it's after 35 years in business, there's an interest. Yeah. And, and a, an ongoing interest. And yeah. Maybe even an increased interest. Yeah. You know, because I think in these times, when people are staying home a lot. You're yeah, more introspective, more mindful. We've been finding that quite a bit. Um, I, th I think a lot of what's happening in the world right now is partly because of we've all been sitting around for six months with nothing to do, and we've actually started thinking about the world we live in. Instead of you know, I got to get up and I got to go to work and I got to do this and I got to do that and I come home and I'm tired and I just have dinner and I watch TV and I go to bed. During the lockdown, I think there were a lot of people sitting around going, you know maybe this isn't the life that we should be living. Like maybe maybe there's more to life than Absolutely this. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think another upshot too, and uh, something I've been discussing with people recently is that with people working more from home, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, empty business. Uh, uh, Real estate. Yeah, and, and that needs to be filled. Uh, you know, and some of that uh, can be used to house people who are desperately needing housing. Yes. So yes. You know, we have uh, a future now where there's going to be a lot of big buildings that are going to be empty, yeah. mostly empty. Yeah. And uh, either they're going to have to come down or, or we're going to repurpose them. Yeah. And, yeah. And just to speak to some issues in the neighborhood, you know, that I've lived in, as yeah. say, since 1975, and on and on. Yeah. Uh, we, we have issues down here that uh, are very serious and, uh, yeah. and uh, heart wrenching. Yeah disturbing stories, you know? Yeah. And we see it every day here, and it really needs to be more done in that direction. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. There's a, yeah, it can be it can be really heartbreaking sometimes. There's also a lot of stories of hope in the neighborhood as well. well and, that's true. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, yeah. I spoke to a fellow today that I've you know seen around here, the office. I say I lived down here in this apartment for ten years. Yeah. And uh, you know I've seen him kind of uh, helped helped up to his feet. Yeah, you know, and it's good yeah. that there are still people out there and still agencies out there that are able to do that. But yeah. he went from being, you know, a homeless guy on the street. You know, I spoke to him a few times. He was a good fellow. Yeah, just uh, you know, he had some drug problems and beyond yeah. that, he probably and beyond that, he has improved. You know, he got he kicked his habit. Yeah, more or less, I imagine. Yeah, and uh, he's been in stable housing now for a couple of years. That's great. And I saw him yeah. today, and he's doing well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of opportunity in this area, a lot of opportunity to not only help people, help our fellow man, but also build the neighborhood up. And, you know, that, that's that's what we're kind of, we were disappointed when, when B13 yeah, left. Right across and, the street and there, if you can see that across yeah. the street. And that they can see up. it, yeah. And that's, uh, that was a good idea. And, and, yeah. Uh, very sad to see that uh, that whole storefront boarded up now. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and, you know, like, we were sad to see that go, but, 
you know, we're also trying to think of it as an opportunity to be an anchor store, like on this corner, and try and you know, well, somebody else do as much as we can to get other people down here and, and let people know that you know what, there there's there's rough moments on this street, but um, there's also there's also a lot of beautiful people here, and and and, and uh, yeah, yeah you know, it's, I see it as we uh, we had a very uh, a good push towards improvement. Yeah, but the past year has set us back Absolutely. a couple of steps. Yeah, not just one, one or two, but uh, you know, boarded up storefronts up and down the, the block. Yeah, that were uh, that were doing very well two years ago or a year ago. Yeah, and uh, I think that will come back. I'm I'm sure it'll come back. Uh, it's driven by rents, of course. Yeah, and uh, one thing I noticed here in the past ten years in the Old East Village is that the rents and real estate ten years ago were some of the best deals in Canada. Yeah. You could have got, uh, I had a friend actually, he's, he's moved on now, but uh, he opened the, the, the uh, antique store. A few oh yeah. Down, ben, ben Hoover actually. Yeah. And got an incredible deal, I'll mention it on air, but he got an incredible deal. <laughs> and, and renovated it and did, you know, massive improvements to the, to the property. Yeah. And was able to turn it over for more than double what he paid for it. Wow. But in just a matter of three or four years, because yeah. it was that three or four years that people were actually investing yeah. and opening new stores and B13 opened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just a couple of other, the root cellar expanded into double their size, the yeah. root cellar restaurant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we miss the root cellar. We want them to reopen soon. Well, they're renovating right Our now. lunches haven't been quite the same. Yeah, <laughs> Very convenient to walk across the street and get a good, a very good hamburger. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Uh, but uh, I, I see it coming back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a matter now uh, of uh, the rents will come down again. Yeah. Demand will go up. Yeah. And you'll see more people taking a chance down here. Yeah. Because it's affordable to, to, to do so. Yeah. And uh, I think the spirit of entrepreneurship is always going to fill an empty space. Yeah. They have to, uh, the city that is though, they really have to stay on top of the of the homeless situation. They have to yeah. help the homeless in order to help the businesses yeah. that will pay the taxes yeah. that help the homeless. Exactly, yeah. So, it, you know, it behooves the city to uh, maintain high levels of police presence down here, yeah. high levels of, of uh, volunteer. Uh, yeah. I say volunteer because uh, London Cares is essentially a non-profit. Yes. Yeah. So, but they do. Uh, they They're a great organization. It's largely yeah. driven by volunteers. Yeah. Too, right. But uh, they do have a mandate to help the homeless people down here yeah. as much as they can, as particularly in terms of uh, of uh, health yeah. and safety. Yeah. So the, you know, as I say, it, it, yeah, it's a and we definitely need more mental health and addiction services Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, it, it's that cycle. You yeah. help those people, then it improves the neighborhood because they're not pooping in corners and <laughs> yeah. breaking windows and vandalizing. Yeah. And that's only a small percentage of the of the desperate people that yeah. are down here. But they are down here. And yeah, they are doing property damage. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah. And it hurts the small business people when they have to replace a window. Yeah. And it hurts the neighborhood when people drive through it and see a broken window. Yeah. They don't want to come to shop here. Yeah. Yeah. So, as I say, it's a cycle that needs to, to, to uh, uh, maintain itself. Yeah. Right? You help people, that helps the businesses, businesses pay taxes. Yeah. There seems to be, um, uh, we, well, like, not 
like governments, I guess, tend to find it difficult to find that balance between helping the people who need help and also helping the businesses where, you know, it may be not conducive to business to have somebody sleeping in your alcove or, or something like that. And it's like, it seems like it's either arrest them all or move them down the street or criminalize people or like, you I think know. the pandemic, and it has been mentioned many times, and yeah. the government is certainly the current government of, of uh, what are getting too political here, has certainly recognized the Absolutely. gaps that yeah. were in social services yeah. and uh, delivery of uh, uh, even a maintenance, even a maintenance uh, income, subsistence, subsistence, pardon, yeah. subsistence income. Yeah. Something that people, you know, the bare minimum. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's been recognized now. Uh, uh, Hopefully. I've been very much surprised recently by some of the initiatives that are being taken in that direction. Yeah. Even at the municipal level, yeah. there seems to be a much higher commitment of providing housing to, to low-income desperate people. Yes, yeah. And that is... Uh, they just opened a couple buildings the other day, didn't they? Um, a, yeah. yeah. I thought I saw Ed Holder on the news opening a place. And, yeah. you know, that's... it's. You know, it, it's good to see. It's it's probably not enough, but at least there's. Uh, it's moving. In it's that moving. Direction. Yeah, it's and moving they, in they, that they direction. They seem to be very stagnant for a long time in yeah. delivering uh, housing. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's the main main issue is housing right now. Yeah. Uh, and and of course, as you say, mental health uh, uh, care. Yeah. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of care there. There's no more maintenance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But. There are services out there delivering that, though. There it's are. Not like it's not like people don't have a, a helping hand to reach out to, but yeah. it's housing that's just not there. Yeah. You can't house somebody when there isn't a house. Yeah, exactly. So this is, this is the issue, is more low-income, geared-to-income. Yeah. Let's say low-income, because, you know, uh, gee whiz, you know what, uh, just, to, just to let my friends know, even though I may appear to be Hill and Harvey, <laughs> uh, you know, in the last few years, I work. You know, yeah. I'm a chef, and I work uh, as a chef. Right. Uh, and in the last few years, an know, art unto itself. I'm, I'm generally <laughs> getting uh, to be an older person. Yeah. And I can't work those forty-hour right. rock and roll shifts <laughs> like I used to in the kitchen. So in the last few years, I've been having to scale things back just for my health. You know, yeah. my hands hurt, my knees hurt. Yeah. I work three, four shifts a week. Yeah. Usually uh, uh, part time, right. a lot of part time jobs, because that's all I could really do. Yep. But so what I'm making, bring as a take home working person, yeah, is actually less than I would be making if I was to go and claim a disability. For yeah. My, yeah. My obvious, you know, disabilities. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's easier for me to keep, keep working. Yeah. And work through the issues. Yeah. Is to go through the, uh, the the pain and suffering of of the uh, application process yeah. for Ontario Disability. Yeah. Which, you know, and you're in my position and I've you know thought about it and talked to a few people and they say, oh, you're going to be turned down. First first time you always get turned down. Right. You have to appeal it. Yeah. It takes a year. Yeah. And, you know, that's like, maybe that's something that should be changing. Absolutely. You know, maybe if you're going to your doctor and he agrees with you that, you know, you have certain issues that are, are you know, causing difficulty in your job. Yeah. That it's not an entire process of hearings and form fillings and hundreds of dollars of billings. And mm -hmm. It could just be simplified and, 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 and you know, made equitable for people who are clearly 
becoming through yeah. wear and tear disabled me. Yeah. A lot of people who are born with a with a disability mm -hmm. can't work. Yeah. And I'm just going from my own personal experience. So. Yeah. And it shouldn't take that long. I mean, if, if, if the government painted itself into any corner during this whole thing, they showed that they could get CERB up and running in a month yeah, and, and get it to people. It, it, it is possible. It is, is possible to do. You shouldn't have to wait a year for something like that. That costs almost $2 billion a month. Yeah. But I believe we live in a country that can afford that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and for someone like myself, a universal basic income supplement yeah. would be a supplement. Yeah. I'd be able to keep working for those three or four shifts a week. Yeah. And then, you know, it would just be a matter of a hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars that would improve my life. Yeah. To a, an incredible degree. Yeah. You know, like yeah. not being worried all the time about paying rent or utilities or yeah. food. Yeah. So as Which a that worry in and of itself takes a toll. So I, I got onto this tangent because we were talking about yeah. low income housing. Yeah. Or uh, 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 as I sh should have said, geared to income housing. Yeah. Because we're not all in the same boat. No. But we don't all have a lot of money either. Yeah. And so the system has to be more uh, uh, mutable. Yeah. To, to Absolutely. Accom to accommodate people. Absolutely. The whole system needs more magic, music and magic. <laughs> I mean, you know, to, to tie up this conversation, because I must say I do have some things to do today, but. But was, uh, do you want to do you want to play a song before you go? Or? No, I no? think okay. I'm good today. I okay. tried to get this thing in tune. I, I don't know if anybody's seen this in the background. This is my uh, my bazooki, but uh, I must say uh, I think that one of my friends has come by my house and tried to tune this like a guitar. And it shouldn't be. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it shouldn't be. So I'm gonna pass on the bazooki. All right, today, fair I enough. Really, I, you know, while you were uh, uh, playing. Uh, playing on there, I uh, tried to get it in tune and it just, just wasn't just, happening. Just wasn't happening? Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Well, maybe next time you get in tune, you can next come by and play you. some. I'd love to, Lindsay. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be great. It is Lindsay, right? Linden. Linden. Okay, Linden. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. It's a hard one to remember. Super so. close, man. Super yeah. Close. <laughs> you, you're actually closer than most people are, yeah. so. <laughs> Lynn. That I've been called that all my life by yeah. many people. All Lynn. Right, there yeah. you go. That's fine with uh, me. My sister was actually a Cheryl Lynn. Oh really? And I always called her Lynn. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll take it. Hey man, it was good right. talking to you. Thank you, John. And to all my friends out there, I appreciate I hope, it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our uh, conversation. I certainly did. Yeah, and, me uh, too. Uh, thanks to Mary Bray for uh, for uh, uh, hosting us. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. She's out. she's the producer. She uh, she makes everything happen. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, guys. Oh, uh, appreciate it. pleasure. Have Don't a great day. All right. You too. Thank you. All right, that was John. That was a good conversation with John, and now we're gonna listen to what do we? What do you want to listen to? Take care. Uh, let's listen to. Uh, here's a good song. This is "Power to the People" by Curtis Mayfield. Thanks. All right. Once again, I want to thank John for coming down and doing that interview. Good to have people here. If you want to be on the podcast, stop by sometime and let us know. Let us know that you want to be on here and uh, we'll book you in at some point. Or maybe we'll just do it off the cuff. Come in and sit down and join me. If you think you got something interesting to say, uh, message us on Twitch or send us an email or call or come on down at some point. This next song is a cover by Tori Amos of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. The song was written by Nirvana. This is Tori Amos. All right, that's Liz Fair with Somebody's Miracle. Who's your miracle? I know who mine is. She owns this store. 
This is David Bowie with Survive. Seneca writes these wonderful essays about death, where he argues that there's no reason to, to fear death. And in one of my favorite essays, I wish he, I could quote this, but he says something about, you know, everybody's so worried about, well, what's the world going to be like when I'm not in it anymore? And Seneca says it'll be just like it was before you got here. And I love that because it's absolutely true. And yet, I wish it were that easy, because if it were, then it just wouldn't be a problem. And once again, I've got to take refuge in, in Becker's notions, because his point is that death is so terrible because it couldn't be otherwise in a living thing that has been carefully crafted by billions of years of evolution to avoid dying at all costs. You know, in the beginning of the denial of death, Becker just says, look, you know, every living thing is disinclined to die. There's just, a, if you weren't, then you wouldn't be here. So the point that he makes, and he's following this guy Gregory Zilborg, is that uh, our, our fear of death is just the natural result of a living thing. The difference is, is that we know it's going to happen. You know, what makes it so terrible, the fact is, is that it's not terrible. I mean, I can say that as I sit here where my death is not immediately eminent and as a vague intellectual abstraction, I can agree that death is part of life and that's just how it is and it's not going to be otherwise and, and that's fine. But Becker's response is that it's just not that easy. It's almost a necessary reflex. It's the emotional manifestation of the biologically based predisposition towards self-preservation juxtaposed with the consciousness of the fact that it, it won't work. <laughs> Everything that we do starts with an idea. We don't know what to do unless we have an idea. So ideas are like fish. And you don't make the fish, you catch the fish. You desiring an idea is like putting a bait on a hook and lowering it into the water. You can catch ideas from daydreaming 
or you can catch ideas from places. If you think that maybe a place could conjure ideas, then you have to go out of the house and go traveling. You can be going down the street, see a reflection on a little pool in the gutter, and bang, an idea will come. Who knows how it happens? I always say it's like there's a man in another room with the whole film together, but they're in, they're in puzzle parts, and he's flipping one piece at a time into me. And at first, it's very abstract. I don't know, I have a clue. More pieces come, more ideas are caught. It starts forming a thing. And then one day, there it is. So it, there is, in another in a way, there's no original ideas. It's just the ideas that you caught. That The thing is to be true to the idea. A lot of artists think that suffering is necessary, but in reality, any kind of suffering cramps the flow of creativity. Let's say that Van Gogh, every time he went out and painted, he got diarrhea. It wouldn't be so good for him to go out. He'd have to be really crazy. Happiness in the doing is so important. And I always say it's our life going by. And uh, then you, this creativity flowing, ideas are easier to catch and ideas that could take you out of drudgery work and lead you to someplace, you know, some fantastic things. Trillions and zillions of ideas and they're all there bubbling and ready to be caught. That's right, I am the DJ. Hopefully I've got some believers out there, maybe one or two. This next song is I Don't Like Mondays by the Boomtown Rats. And technically it's not Monday, but it's our opening day, so it feels like Monday. This is it, Boomtown Rats with Bob Geldof. How will your experience selling refinery equipment translate to our smaller scale here? You don't work in sales, do you? Uh, human resources. You see, I sit across from a man I see his face, I see his eyes. Now, does it matter if he wants $100 of paper or $100 million of deep-sea drilling equipment? Don't be a fool. He wants respect, he wants love. He wants to be younger, he wants to be attractive. There is no such thing as a product. Don't ever think there is. There is only sex. Everything is sex. Do you understand that what I'm telling you is a universal truth, Toby? Yes. All right, The Doors with L.A. Woman. That about does it for us today. It's about 5 o'clock and we're closing up shop. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today and that lovely interview with John. Thank you, John, for stopping by and... Uh, and uh, enlightening us with some memories and thoughts from uh, from the neighborhood. So uh, that wraps it up for us. Please stay tuned tomorrow uh, from 1 to 5. We'll be back. And then tomorrow evening, we'll have Magic 101 with Mary. 
If you have uh, any questions you'd like her to answer or anything like that, send us an email at themysticbookshop at gmail.com. Give us a call, 519-661-0666, or come on in tomorrow at 612 Dundas Street and uh, let us know if there's any topics you'd uh, like us to talk about. Um, don't forget, www.themysticbookshop.ca. It's uh, right in the corner right there. Come to the website to do some uh, online shopping, and you can always pick up your order here. And pretty soon, uh, we'll be doing shipping. So stay tuned for that. We'll let you know when that's happening. Uh, otherwise, I will see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's much appreciated. Uh, here's one last song. Uh, let's go with Bruce Hornsby and The Way It Is, and, uh, and then we'll be out. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you keep coming back. Take care. Bye.